Hi, I'm Alicia Mitchell. I'm not a therapist, a pastor, a coach, or an expert. I'm just a friend who has a lot of feelings. Feelings about faith, relationships, church hurt, and other messy topics we all tend to have messy feelings about. I feel the most strongly about encouraging others to live a whole and healed, purposeful life of freedom in Jesus Christ, and I truly believe that part of that process includes addressing our very real feelings. If you were to come over to my home and sit on my couch, I would hand you a frothy cup of coffee and a blanket, and I would ask you how you were doing, how you were really doing. On the feelings couch, we're not going to do the small talk thing. We're here to do the friendship thing, the real thing. Couches aren't the place for small talk. They're the place for deep, authentic soul talk. They're the place where feelings are felt, not ignored, where truth is spoken, and where important work is done. Welcome to the feelings couch. Your feelings are safe here. Let's sit with them for a little while. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Feelings Couch podcast. Thank you for being here, for coming back to listen to another episode continuing the conversation on spiritual abuse. If you listened to last week's episode, thank you. And if you shared it with someone, thank you too. I know I heard from a few people that they had forwarded it on to some friends who needed to hear about spiritual abuse and what it is and kind of the different signs that we went over and I had a couple people reach out and say that they found me through this podcast episode and that they were thankful to have found me through it um, and hear about this so thank you guys for being here I it never fails to shock me and to like it's it's a weird type of shocking every single time I encounter someone else with a very similar story and every single time it's like equal parts validating that I'm not alone in this situation, that the people that I've known that have gone through this aren't alone in this situation, but it's also heartbreaking about how just kind of widespread the same tactics have become. Um, So anyway, if you reached out to me, thank you. I am thinking of you as I continue this series. Um, So two things. At the end of this episode, stick around because I want to tell you about a new resource um, concerning spiritual abuse and kind of a a next step, next helpful step for those of you who did resonate with this topic, this content. Um, And also, if you listened to last week's episode, I keep saying last week, it was technically two weeks ago. So if you listened to the last episode and are thinking now, yes, this did resonate with me now what? Now what do I do with this? All of this information has brought about some hard, difficult, not fun feelings. (laughs) And now what do I do? Um, That is the main question. So today we're going to talk a little bit about addressing and accepting spiritual abuse. Um, Last episode we talked about identifying and naming it. And so really the next step is accepting and addressing it. And before we can address it, we have to identify it, name it, and then accept it. So the order is pretty intentional. Um, The time each of these steps will take depend entirely on the person. So depending on your specific experience, your personality, your coping mechanisms, your level of hurt, your willingness to feel and process emotion, and so many other factors, That'll contribute to how much 
time it'll take you in each step. And what I'm saying is it's okay if you listen to everything I say today and you aren't ready to take these next steps. Don't rush it. Don't feel shame for not being ready. Healing and grieving is a process and some people are going to be ready for the next step where you might say, hey, I'm just kind of floored by the identifying that this has happened to me. I don't really think I can do anything except just process right now. It's totally fine. Um, But for those of you that are saying, yeah, this is my story. This is a part of what's happened to me either in the past or what's happening to me now. And I want to know what to do next. Then you will be more likely to be ready to take these next steps. Um, if it's not, if you're not quite there, I hope you listen anyway and just know, I know what it feels like to be where you are and know that you are not alone and Jesus grieves with you. And I don't believe that he's rushing you either. I think he's just saying to come to him, even in the midst of the messy feelings and the just hard of all of this. And he grieves with you. Um, And as painful as this is, I just hope you know and you hear from the tone of my voice, from every word that is spoken in these podcast episodes, that there is still hope. As painful as this is, God is still God. And my prayer for you in all of these episodes is that it will become easier for you to feel less alone, to have some tangible next steps, to heal, to move forward, and that you begin to better decipher between who God is and what man has done or said or been to you in the past. So if you missed the last episode where we talked about identifying and naming spiritual abuse, I do recommend going back and listening to that episode first as it kind of um, sets the stage and each of these episodes will build on each other um, in regards to this topic. So, but now that we have defined what spiritual abuse is, and maybe you have come to the either scary or relieving realization that you recognize some of those behaviors, we're going to talk about accepting and addressing spiritual abuse. And my usual disclaimer for anybody who just needs to hear it again is I am, I'm aware this is an intense subject. It's not like the thing that you bring up you know, in small talk or like sitting down to dinner, just so have you heard about spiritual abuse, but you know, that's kind of been a part of my life. So a lot of my sit down conversations do start that way. (laughs) But anyway, I know it's an intense subject. And I'm just asking that you continue to listen to these episodes through a lens of compassion and understanding, knowing that I've covered all of this in prayer that I'm consistently doing so that I'm really trying to be Um, discerning about how I share what I share, the tone of what I share, what personal parts of my story I share and all of that um, and my intentions. And I just know that if I were to be silent about this, it would be an act of disobedience to God specifically in the way that I know that he has called me and continuously put it on my heart to speak up about this. So please know I talk about this out of a love for God and his people and his church not in spite of loving his church, it's because of my love for the church. Um, And I might have mentioned this in the last episode, but it's like every context that I have for 
the reasons I know spiritual abuse is wrong and the reasons I know manipulating people for our own gain is wrong and the reasons I know using God's word against people is wrong is because of scripture. That's the context that I have for it being wrong. (laughs) So um, anyway, my prayer and reasoning in discussing this is so that the Lord will reveal what needs to be revealed so that his people can find new freedom and hope in their walk with him. It's not to stir up anger or division in the church, but to shine a light on injustice, oppression, and abuse, and to call out evil that has tried to just plague and um, keep believers held captive. Um, So that's my heart behind all this. Isaiah 520 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Abuse is evil. Abuse done in the name of God is no less evil. I would argue that it's even worse. Abuse ignored for fear of giving the church, the big C church, a bad name only serves the abusers. We serve a God who brings light into darkness. A God of justice, freedom, and restoration. And it's time we value those things too. Call out evil and trust him to take care of the messiness of it all. Psalms 146, 7 and 8 says, The oppressed get justice with you. The hungry are satisfied with you. Prisoners find their freedom with you. You open the eyes of the blind and you fully restore those bent over with shame. And that's just my prayer for you today if you're listening and you've listened to the last episode and thought, this is me and I don't know what to do. I'm just praying that not only are your eyes opened, but that you do see um, freedom, that you do experience freedom, that you see um, shame taken away, that you are restored, and that you find justice. All right, so before we hop into the addressing and accepting um, part of this conversation, just to reiterate something I mentioned at the last episode, which is just discerning between the difference between someone who is truly a spiritually abusive leader versus someone who just has shown one or two of these characteristics traits before that I talked about in the last episode, someone who had a bad day, someone who messed up, that kind of thing. Um, We are all imperfect humans, and you may have seen one or two of these behaviors modeled before from a certain leader, maybe even a parent or a spouse, and that alone doesn't necessarily make them spiritually abusive people. Instead of jumping to conclusions based on one event, I would just encourage you to look at the fruit of their life as a whole. Do they typically love others well? Have they exemplified kindness, humility, and empathy for the vast majority of their life or ministry do they surround themselves with accountability and trusted relationships when people they view with people they view as equals? There's a huge difference between a leader who had a bad day and made a mistake and a leader who is spiritually abusive. In that same vein, though, I think it's necessary to address the fact that giving grace and believing the best about someone can kind of be a cop-out for covering up abuse. Um, I specifically struggled with this myself. Um, The person that was in a spiritual leadership position over my husband and I a few years ago when we faced um, this abuse, 
um, had been someone we had known forever for a long time who we from beforehand we had looked up to them from afar we had they were a part of our faith journey they were um, involved in my husband coming to really know Jesus they were involved in us starting out in worship ministry and starting out in in our our walk with God and so we had a lot of like loyalty to them and there was for about two years we really made excuses for this person we just said oh that's just that's not what he meant or oh that's just him being him that's just you know we gave grace as much as we could because we didn't want to accept that this was not good behavior or that he was manipulating us or taking advantage or harming us in any way so we just kind of reframed the situation so of course you want to as believers we believe in giving grace as much as possible and and assuming the best of others but if you find yourself making excuses for the same behaviors over and over again You've witnessed a cycle of spiritually abusive behavior happening to others, even if you have not been directly affected by it. And there's just a general check of familiarity in your spirit when reading about spiritual abuse. Or if you find yourself dismissing all of these behaviors that you've noticed out of loyalty to that leader fear or fear of losing your community, I would say you really just need to be praying and exercising your discernment and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to you areas in which you're blind because of your loyalty to the things that this leader is doing. Here's the truth. You are not called to be a doormat. You are not called to let abusive people use your patience, grace, and forgiveness as weapons against you. You are not called to blindly follow anyone who calls themselves a Christian or a leader just because they call themselves that. All authority is not deserving of respect and trust and submission simply because they are in a position of authority. The picture of church as sheep to be shepherded only works when it is healthy. If the shepherd is abusive, we are not called to blindly keep following the toxic shepherd, pretending we don't notice that he's leading us right to the wolves. Also, Jesus is the true good shepherd. And if that spiritual leader isn't leading you closer to him, but closer to themselves instead, another red flag. Look for the fruit. Look for humility. Look for qualities that prove trustworthy character. Look for the kind of character that doesn't have to announce itself and its its um, strengths constantly, but character that speaks for itself. Do humble people mess up? Yes, of course they do. But they're able to admit that, to apologize, and to show empathy to those who have been hurt by them. Humble, healthy people will not claim to be above failure and mistakes, but they will do their best to adjust their behavior going forward. And they will feel terrible about their own actions or decisions hurting another brother or sister in Christ. Spiritually abusive narcissists, on the other hand, will not and cannot hold the same perspective. It's so important to come to terms with this truth once you realize you've been spiritually abused. Often a believer's first response to a spiritual abuser is the desire to fix them or help them see their harmful behavior and to change them themselves. As you are praying and discerning, I would like to reiterate that humble people do not just simply talk about being humble. Empathetic people do not just simply talk about their empathy. 
Godly people do not just talk about their godliness. Watch for actions, not just words. So again, if all of this does sound familiar to you and you're wondering, what now? How do I start moving forward? Let's go ahead and talk about accepting and addressing spiritual abuse. For me personally, it took me nine months after being given the term spiritual abuse to make my very first counseling appointment for myself. I did a random Google search, found a a counselor in my area, and booked an appointment. A few days later, I found out that she specialized in narcissistic abuse recovery, which was quite a coincidence. This came after a final attempt on my end to be understood and mend fences with my previously abusive pastor. A failed attempt. (laughs) If I think back to that first appointment, this was the very first thing that my therapist addressed. The first thing she ever really said to me after I spilled all my guts out on her couch. She said, you have to come to terms with the fact that this person is physically incapable of seeing your perspective. Physically incapable of seeing your perspective. She was right. I had long been afraid of conflict, a people pleaser, and I was sure if I just reached out one more time, I could resolve the issue. I had tried every way I could possibly think of to explain myself, to make peace, and to get closure. But I finally had to come to terms with reality, which was that I couldn't fix this, and I needed to make peace with that and let go in order to heal. At some point when you're hearing me talk about this, many of you may be wondering, what about the biblical outline for resolving relationships that is outlined in Matthew 18? How does that apply here? Well, let's talk about it. Matthew 18 says in verse 15 on dealing with sin in the church. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church, and if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Jesus is telling us when someone sins against us to first go to them directly to resolve the issue. If that doesn't resolve it, then take one or two others with you to try and resolve it. And if that doesn't work, then it must be taken to the entire church in hopes of restoration. This biblical outline is so helpful in restoring relationships and encourages us to get to the root of the issue, avoid gossip, and avoid making issues worse off than they actually are. However, I think it's important to clarify here that an abusive relationship is not the same as a broken relationship. An abusive relationship happens when one person has power over another, whether spiritually, emotionally, or physically. On another note, the passage begins by saying if your brother or sister sins against you, implying that Jesus is addressing those who are equals, who have committed themselves to being a part of a family or a spiritual family. I encourage you to seek the Lord first and use your discernment in situations like this, but from my own studying and prayerful perspective, I truly believe that following this criteria with an abuser just opens the door for more abuse, for more manipulation, for more gaslighting, and I don't think it's a safe way to address it. This is the same advice I would give if a woman told me her husband was physically abusing her. I don't believe confronting him is safe. I would advise her to get out in a safe and careful way 
and I truly believe Jesus would want her to do the same. Spiritual abusers are experts at taking biblical concepts and using them to their own advantage in order to control or manipulate others. It's not an even playing field, and expecting them to uphold a biblically accurate way of dealing with conflict instead of using it to further control you is sadly very misled. When you're dealing with a spiritual abuser, you are dealing with someone who will gaslight you, misquote you, lie to and about you, seek to control you, accuse you of their own toxic behavior, and ultimately seek to destroy you, your calling, your reputation, and your influence. And the worst part is, being a spiritual leader, they typically have enough charisma and influence and are convincing enough that many people believe them. Knowing this, I hope you know why I truly believe it's unsafe to apply the Matthew 18 principle of restoring broken relationships when you are specifically dealing with an abuser. It's just another example of a believer's good intentions to follow biblical instructions being manipulated and taken advantage of. Let me say this. You are not required to restore relationship with your abuser. You are absolutely required and called to forgive them, but forgiveness does not equal restoration. Restoration would require rebuilt trust, which requires changed behavior. And while I believe there is nothing that is impossible for God, I also believe strongly that you cannot heal wounds caused by an abuser by staying in contact with the abuser. And this is where it gets really hard. Because even though I don't know the details of your situation, in most cases, my first step, my first piece of advice to you would be that your first step is to walk away from the spiritually abusive environment. Now, this is maybe the most heartbreaking reality because I would never be able to advise you to stay in an abusive environment in good conscience. But the hardest part about having to leave a spiritually abusive church is that there's also never been a time where you needed a healthy church community more. Even so, your first step probably needs to be walking away from the spiritually abusive environment. Someone getting shot at shouldn't stop to address one wound while he's still being shot at. He has to get to safety first before addressing his wounds. You wouldn't begin treating a small burn on your arm in the middle of a house fire. Your first order of business would be to get out of the burning house. I use these examples because I know it's so much easier to understand the damage of wounds that we can see. It's harder to see the wounds in our spirit, but I promise you they're just as damaging. Maybe even more so and longer lasting. Now humor me here. I do not claim to be a theologian. But I find it interesting how just a few chapters down from Matthew 18, we have Jesus speaking against the Pharisees in Matthew 23. I think there's something to the fact that he was openly speaking against their behavior and renouncing it. And I think it's because he saw that the harm they were doing was in God's name. He didn't tell all of his disciples to go meet with each Pharisee separately and confront them. He denounced them right then and there, publicly. I don't want to put my own words into the text here, so please form your own conclusions, but I'd like to think that Jesus knew the Pharisees were spiritually abusive. They were using scriptures to manipulate others for their own gain, so the goal wasn't to encourage his disciples to restore relationships with them. His goal was to call out truth and bring darkness to light. 
Jesus was sinless, so he wasn't gossiping about the Pharisees. He was clearing the air on the ways the Pharisees had so inaccurately represented God. He was speaking truth so that others could be set free of the religious oppression they were under. Matthew 23, 1-7 says this, Then Jesus addressed both the crowds and his disciples and said, The religious scholars and the Pharisees sit on Moses' throne as the authorized interpreters of the law. So listen and follow what they teach, but don't do what they do, for they tell you one thing and do another. They tie on your backs an oppressive burden of religious obligations and insist that you carry it, but will never lift a finger to help ease your load. Everything they do is done for show and to be noticed by others. They want to be seen as holy, so they wear oversized prayer boxes on their arms and foreheads with scriptures inside, and wear extra-long tassels on their outer garments. They crave the seats of highest honor at banquets and in their meeting places. And how they love to be admired by men with their titles of respect, aspiring to be recognized in public and have others call them reverend. I'm increasingly so thankful that the Bible has given us context for leaders like this who preach one way and live another way, who use the words in the gospel for their own gain. I just really appreciate how we can look to the word of God that was written so many years ago and that it's still so applicable and so speaks directly to the heart of so many issues that we're facing in our current day. So again, what now? Well, your second step, I believe, after removing yourself from a spiritually abusive environment is to find safe people. Your next step when realizing you've been spiritually abused is to seek wise counsel. A trusted friend who is not still directly involved with the ministry or organization where the abuse has taken place. A professional biblical counselor, spiritually healthy mentors and or family members who again are not involved with the place of abuse. It is important to know you cannot simply trust leaders that work for the abusive leader even if you think you have a good relationship with them. Most likely, these people have been spiritually abused too and are blinded by their trust of that leader and not able to think for themselves. They're not safe people for you to trust right now. Safe people will help you process as well as provide sound counsel for how to move forward depending on your situation. Find those people. I know the temptation is to isolate and to withdraw and not to trust anyone because of who has hurt you, but find safe people. I promise you they exist and you are not meant to walk through this alone. Find those people. Tell them everything. Engage their reactions. In our case, our mentors, friends, and family reacted so much more strongly than we expected when we started sharing with them the things that we had been going through. Since we had grown so used to the abusive behavior This helped us see how much of what we had shrugged off for so long was really toxic, unhealthy, and not normal. We were so relieved at their reactions as it confirmed what we knew deep in our spirits for so long. This was not okay. Quickly upon seeking trusted counsel, we had multiple people confirm that what we had gone through was spiritual abuse before we even knew what that term meant. We had been brainwashed in a way to think that our discernment and discomfort with what had been going on for the past two years was actually a personal pride issue and that any red flags we had seen were just because we were spiritually immature and non-trusting of authority. 
Safe people will help you see past the BS mind game that you've been stuck in. Here's a truth note for you. Telling your story to trusted people for the purpose of finding healing and safety is not gossip, just as someone reporting a sexual abuse is not gossip. Another note, in my experience in not doing this particular part very well, it is important to use discernment when telling people who are in the same abusive community about what you've gone through. Often these people are just as lost and misled as you were at one point, and since spiritually abusive leaders create a culture where loyalty to the leader is praised above all else, and where thinking for yourself and asking questions is discouraged, you may, mm, you will, get some people who think you are kind of crazy. They may do more harm than good for you in this situation, even though they will believe they are doing the right thing by staying loyal to the leader. Do not be angry with them for choosing a side against you. Just pray for them to see the truth. Pray for God to use your story to show them the path to their own healing and freedom. This is a tough one to swallow, but it's not your job to save everyone. I'm a firm believer that God brings things to light eventually. Relationships that are meant to be restored will be, and the greatest testimony to your health and character will be for them to see who you become once you walk away from the abusive environment. Commit to loving them from afar and wishing them the best, even if they completely shun you or cut you out of their life. You can let go and move on without burning down every bridge. You never know what God will restore in the future. I know I specifically had people that were completely cut out of my life, um, relationships that I completely lost because of leaving the spiritually abusive environment that just a few years later were completely restored when they started seeing things for themselves. And I can't tell you how much it meant to me to have um, people who reached back out, that they pushed past the awkwardness. They could have just they could have just not reached out to me and felt guilty enough um, in the fact that they had cut us out of their community that they just didn't talk to us again. But thankfully, they did reach back out. And I can't tell you how much more appreciative I am of those relationships now, having shared experiences and having seen what we all walked through and having kind of an ally in someone who who understands. So I'm, again, a firm believer that if they're meant to be in your life, God will bring them back into your life. You never know what he will do in his timing and his ways. But yes, if I can reiterate the main thing that I'm getting across here, even though it's hard, and I'm not saying in across the board, everyone needs to leave their church. Please do not hear me say that. But if you are in a spiritually abusive environment, and maybe if you have talked to some people and they can kind of confirm that for you, yes, you really do need to get out of that environment. I mean it. I know what you're thinking because I thought the same things. I know this feels divisive of me to say, but when you come to terms with the fact that you are in a spiritually abusive environment, it's a complete paradigm shift. You need a new perspective. And here's the truth. A spiritually abusive environment negatively affects everyone involved not just those who have had the more obvious things happen to them. A spiritually abusive environment is spiritually abusive to everyone that's in it. It affects your spirit. It affects your view of yourself and of others. It affects your view of God and your relationship with him. It affects your marriage and close relationships. 
It affects your spiritual growth. It affects your mental health. It affects how you make decisions. It affects all aspects of your life. I do want to make a quick caveat in talking about the need to leave abusive, toxic environments. And the one thing that I do want to say is if you do have elders in your church that you feel like you can go to, if there is some sort of accountability structure that you want to try and go to first before making the official decision to leave, I definitely implore you to try. Um, The one thing that I would say with that is to just kind of caution yourself and watch your expectations because so many people that have tried to do this, um, it did not end up getting handled well. Either things were just shrugged off, excuses were made for the leader, or the um, concern got back to the leader and then he took it out on the person or it came out sideways in you know, (laughs) preaching his sermons and kind of speaking things directed at a group of people that everybody, he didn't name them, but you know, it was kind of understood who they were talking to. So I am certainly not saying not to try to go to other people in leadership and address these issues. Um, I do stand by not going straight to the spiritual leader who is toxic and abusive, but if there are other people around that you think, hey, I've really seen their character for a long time, and I think that their heart would be one that would want better for this church, um, I definitely encourage you to do that, but just be careful as you do it. Um, A toxic environment is toxic to everyone. I've heard things like this from people so many times. I don't think our leadership is healthy, and I keep seeing a lot of people get hurt, but nothing has been personally done to me yet. I don't know how you were so brave. We've been praying for a way out. I see the spiritual abuse, but I don't want to lose my friends. Well, no church is perfect. I don't think the pastor is preaching sound theology, but we have been told not to ask questions and to trust leadership, so I'm trying to do that. Believe me, I understand completely how scary it is to think about walking away from a familiar environment, an environment you may have even had positive memories in. Maybe years ago, it's where you found Jesus, got baptized, maybe even got married, and you've clung to the long gone good in order to justify all of the bad. And I know what I'm about to say may sound extremely rough and forward of me, but God has not called you to enable abusers. God has not called you to endure abuse. Maybe you don't think you're enabling abusers, and I'm sure you aren't intentionally, but when we turn a blind eye to injustice, when we make excuses to remain comfortable rather than standing up for what is right, when we ignore our discernment and choose the fear of man over the prompting of the Holy Spirit, when we continue showing up to services, serving, tithing to, supporting, clapping for, and condoning spiritually abusive leadership, we're enabling abusers. And I'm saying that as someone who knows that my actions in those years that I was a part of a ministry that falls under this type of ministry is I did that. I had my own share in enabling abuse. And of course I justified it and I thought I was doing the right thing. And sadly, when you don't know that you're under spiritual abuse, 
you're typically convinced that you're just doing the right Christian thing and following Jesus by following spiritual authority. But when you know better, this is how we know to do better. Whether you like it or not, your church attendance speaks volumes of support for the way your church is being run and the way people are being treated. Your presence is a huge part of accountability. Pay attention to how that statement sits with you. If it makes you uncomfortable, ask yourself why. Many well-intended Christians are stuck in spiritually dead or abusive churches out of a fear of man and what it would look like to leave. If that's you, I get it. I've been there. But your very presence in these churches is what keeps spiritually abusive leaders in positions of power. It can be really, really hard to have the thought that, you know, you expect these leaders, the elders or whoever they are to handle these situations really well and then to try and do that the right way and go to them the right way and then for it to all come back on you or um, it can end up hurting you more in the long run. But I do say if you feel like you can to try because again, I don't think of leaving, making the decision to leave a church as a flippant one or one that should just be done across the board. Um, many of the church structures that I've seen where there is an abusive authority, one of the reasons that abusive authority got to the place that they're at is because there is a lack of true accountability and structure. So that's why I don't have a ton of hope um, holding out for somebody who would be in eldership or um, another authority in the church that might be able to, to help in this situation. But that doesn't mean it's true of every single case. And of course, the best case scenario would be for that abusive leader to get the help they need the correction they need or to be taken out of their role at least for um, a time while they're kind of rehabilitated into um, ministry. We need to ask ourselves honestly if we are more afraid of what people think of us than we are of being someone who allows a cycle of abuse to continue. Galatians 1, 6, and 10 says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. And then in verse 10, he says, Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Friend, I know, I really know and understand that you're afraid of losing your community. I know you're afraid of the unknown, who will reject you, and how your reputation will be handled after you're gone. I know you're worried about being misunderstood or the drama of how it even looks to leave a church. I had all of the same fears, and all of them came true. All of them. And you know what? There were people who think I'm crazy, who thought I'm crazy, probably still do, (laughs) who believed rumors that were untrue. There's probably a lot that I haven't even heard. I've been called a wolf in sheep's clothing. I've been told the devil is in control of my life and all kinds of other things. My husband and I both had our names dragged through the mud. We had multiple people tell us they can't be our friends anymore because we made them question leadership or 
because they were straight out told they're not allowed to be our friend. Um, We've seen it all. And you know what? As hard as that was, I wouldn't go back and do that part any differently. I've seen God do so much in the past few years that really honestly changed my life in the way that I um, had to cling to him in walking through the aftermath of spiritual abuse and losing my entire community that I did everyday life with. But leaning on him taught me so much and I just don't regret it. Um, And I've witnessed God restore some of the relationships we lost back to be even sweeter than ever before. I've watched trust in marriages be rebuilt and hope be reborn and lives be renewed. And we've, Brian and I have seen God carry us through every step of the way. I've never been more in love with Jesus and with his church, and I've never been more excited for the future. I've seen God make a way where it seemed to be impossible. I've seen his kindness more in this season of my life than I have ever before. I've witnessed how he carries and heals our burdens, how he makes wrong things right, and how he puts purpose into every single aspect of our lives that we surrender to him. Fighting for freedom is so worth it. And like I said earlier, God will bring people back into your life if they're supposed to be a part of it. I just want you to know, in spite of how hard all of it was to walk through, that it pales in comparison to how much freedom there is when you realize There's always a door to walk out of. You are not stuck. If you are an adult human who is not a tree, you can uproot yourself whenever you like. Not only that, but if you're a Holy Spirit-filled, image-bearing child of God, and you find yourself in a place that raises concerns in your spirit, you can walk out of those doors without reason or excuse. Follow the voice of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it does line up with what man says. But also, sometimes it does not. Learn to trust and discern it. And when you hear it, listen and obey. Do not listen to the voice of fear or the voice that wants to please man over the voice of the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Lastly, and I'm reiterating this because it was the toughest part for me to surrender, but are you really willing to sacrifice your health, your spiritual growth, intimate relationships, and potentially your calling in order to keep quote-unquote friendships who would drop you like last week's leftovers if you stopped going to the same church? Yes, I cried a lot of tears. Yes, I had to grieve some broken relationships. Yes, I'm in a season I never anticipated, passionately talking about a subject I never thought would be part of my story. But I've seen God so clearly work in the past year in how he's taken what the enemy meant for evil and turned it for good. So as we wrap up this episode, I want to say two different prayers for two different types of people that may be um, listening Um, I want to pray for you who find yourself feeling stuck in a spiritually abusive situation. I pray that you will hear the voice of the Holy Spirit louder than ever before, that you will trust it and not doubt it, that God will give you the gift of discernment. I pray that it will drown out all the noise. I pray against anyone who tries to shame you, defame you, or blame you, that their words will not be heard by you, that the Holy Spirit would drown them out with truth. I pray against any spirit of fear that tries to keep you held captive. I pray that you will know that your identity is found in Christ and that he wants freedom for you too. 
I pray that you will be overwhelmed with peace and comfort as you make difficult decisions. I pray that you will be set free. And I'm also praying for you who have walked away from an abusive situation and are pursuing healing. I'm praying that God will release you from that old season quickly and that the negative effects from the abuse will dissipate, that you'll be able to forgive and let go and move forward with so much hope and confidence in the fullness of Christ. I pray that you will know you will not be defined by this season and that God will not let it hold you back from the next one. I pray that you find a healthy community to help you heal. I pray that God will bring healthy spiritual leaders into your life. I pray that you also see God make beauty from ashes out of your situation. I pray that you know you are not alone and that your time spent in an abusive situation, no matter how many years or months or days, will not be wasted because of Jesus. I pray that others will be able to see you shining a brighter light than ever before so that they can't help but notice how you look a lot like freedom. I pray that your story of bravery and courage will inspire others, and I pray that you point everyone to the healing you found in Christ by choosing to walk away, but also to forgive and not be bitter. The best really is yet to come. Dare to believe it. So lastly, I just want to tell you guys about a new resource that I have. Um, which is just a free download. Um, I've named it The Best is Yet to Come. (laughs) It's just a list of resources for those walking through healing from spiritual abuse. And it's meant to be just a tangible next step for people who have started to realize like they have gone through something like this. Maybe they listened to the first episode of this um, podcast series and they identified with the different markers of spiritual abuse. Um, The link is in my Instagram bio. If I can figure out how to put it in the show notes, it'll be there too. But if not, it's in my Instagram bio. My Instagram is at Alicia Bravely, A-L-I-S-H-A, Bravely. And all you have to do is click the link and you can go right to it and what it is is it's just a intentionally compiled list of podcasts and books and articles and just all the resources that I've kind of poured over the past few years in walking through my own journey um, and there's also a link to a Facebook group I have a private Facebook group of people who are walking through spiritual abuse Um, There's about 95 people in it, and they're total strangers (laughs) from all across the world, honestly. And um, they've joined the group, and many of them have shared their own stories. And we just kind of, uh, it's kind of just a safe place there to just open up about things that you've gone through and know that you're going to get a similar perspective of people who are wanting to continue loving God, continue loving the church, and are just wanting to know how to move forward. Um, Also on the list of resources, there are two music playlists. Um, If you have Apple Music, Apple Music, that'll be the best, easiest way to use them. But if not, I think you can still open it and see what songs are on there in case you want to go look them up on whatever music platform you have. But a little bit about those playlists. One is a pretty typical worship playlist. I just feel like music is really healing. It's a big part of my life and um, something that I, that really helps me um, 
lyrics are really powerful and worship music is a big part of my healing journey. Um, so there's one that's a pretty typical worship playlist, but there's another one that's very specially created. Um, maybe for those of us who were worship leaders um, at the time of being in a spiritually abusive environment, I know for a lot of us hearing specific songs that we're saying um, back in those churches or during a hard season kind of evoke difficult emotions or trigger us a little bit, if um, if you will. Um, so I have one playlist on there that is has been created to intentionally exclude like mainstream worship songs that may have been most likely sung at churches. I can't promise that you definitely won't hear anything that might trigger you or remind you of an old church experience, but for the most part, those songs have been intentionally added to um, just be kind of songs of healing and um, just uplifting, encouraging worship songs that aren't mainstream worship artists, if that makes sense. Um, so I hope you go check that out. And as always, thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Feelings Couch. I'm so glad you're here, especially for this conversation that's so near and dear to my heart. I'm just praying that you get um, a sense of hope out of it, that you feel spurred on towards freedom, that you feel encouraged and know that, again, you're so not alone in this. Um, And also that there's so much hope and healing that's available to you. So I will talk to you guys again in a couple weeks. And I thank you so much for being here.